You're listening to the Sketchnote Army Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Rohde, the author of the Sketchnote Handbook and the Sketchnote Workbook. And this is the podcast where I chat with sketchnoters and visual thinkers and try to understand what makes them tick. Hey, are you looking for the ideal sketchbook for your sketchnoting practice? The Sketchnote Idea Book is the sketchbook designed for sketchnoters. Equipped with no bleed, no show-through paper, you can take almost any marker or pen you can throw at it. Get 10% off with code ARMY at airship.store. Hey everyone, it's Mike and I'm here with Jono. Hey, Jono, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Uh, thanks, Mike. It's so good to, to finally meet you after all these years. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, we've connected years and years ago, um, specifically for a sample or I guess a, a, a piece, one of your pieces that we included in uh, this one of the Sketchnote handbooks, Sketchnote workbook books, because I thought your stuff was really cool and the way you thought about visualization was really interesting. So that's, I think, how we crossed paths initially, probably 10 years ago. Almost. I, 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 yeah, I think it, it was probably about 10 years ago. Yeah, and I, I came across your work from originally when you did the rework book, uh, the oh, illustrations that's right. for that, which was also a long time ago. Yeah, that was more like 15 years ago almost. That now, yeah. So crazy how time flies. Anyway, uh, so that's how we cross paths. I've always loved your work, and, I, and I'm amazed at your prolific nature uh, and your ability <laughs> to continuously produce these sketch planations. And if you are watching or listening and you've not heard of or seen Jono's sketch planations, they're amazing. He basically visually represents often very complex ideas in simple ways. So you can sort of get the concept of the idea with some notes and such to help, you know, describe it. Is that a fair way to describe what your sketch planations are? Yeah, definitely. It's about it's about taking a a concept and trying to just represent it in a picture in a way that's sort mm -hmm. of sticky and and memorable and and quick quick to get to grips with and yeah I, I think over the years i've definitely started adding a bit more layer of uh, description mm. which you can take optionally but you don't have to have it that's the idea is that you mm. you have that surface level if it's interesting you can dive in and if not carry on you know yeah and i'd love to hear sort of the origin story of that and sort of what's what is driving you to continue but first tell us a little bit about what you do and who you are and then you can jump right into your I always love to have people do their own origin story. So how did you end up doing what you're doing? Did you draw as a kid? Did somehow you snuck through school without it being shaken out of you? Or how did that how did that all begin? So start with who you are, what you do, and then where you came from. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So as you say, I'm John and and I'm I'm mostly here because uh, of my work for Sketchplanations, which is a weekly newsletter working towards explaining the world one sketch at a time. Um, with the illustration side, I've also had, um, I was lucky enough to do some illustrations for Bill Gates's book recently, the, oh, um, good. how, how to prevent the next pandemic, which was really cool. Hmm. Um, but it, it's all like the illustration sketch nations has all been sort of a side project, which I've been doing, um, now for uh, the, the 10 years or so that, mm -hmm. <laughs> that we've crossed paths. Um, in my day job, I, uh, run product development. So, um, I've been a, a UX designer and I run product delivery, I'm now on my second um, second startup, which has been really cool and a really interesting sort of parallel journey. And it feeds a lot of the content and the sorts of things that come into Sketchplanations. You asked for the origin story. So I, I, will, I will go right back because um, okay. I think good, good. 
I think it makes yeah it makes sense as to as to why I'm doing what I'm doing um, and I think if I go if I go back far enough like I, yeah I always used to quite quite like drawing but I was never particularly I was never particularly good at at art in the sense that there were always better artists than me but I was always quite good at like the maths and the science side of things mm-hmm. um, and so if I think back to yeah what's what's high school in the US or A levels in the UK I did a bunch of like science and maths based ones and then I did art and art was always the one which I was very happy to go spend my lunchtime working on my art homework but of course I didn't do as well in my art as all the other stuff and so what I ended up doing was um, was design engineering which is a lovely way to like blend the two things together really so you're you're always you're trying to draw for a purpose and you're trying to communicate things um come up with ideas but then express them on paper um but they have to work as well so you have to have the maths and the science bit bit right um i don't know who who your heroes were growing up like but um da vinci was always one of mine Mm. and it's quite difficult to you know get the breadth of what evidently leonardo da vinci was able to do but that that for me was when i was growing up was always the ideal like beautifully using his art to to express like scientific or engineering concepts which was cool so um in many ways i think that sort of lives on in what i was still been trying to do um but but yeah so so way back i i i was i was good at the science and maths and um but i was enjoyed the art and i was always interested also in like creative thinking and so when i when i came out of university i spent a lot of time working on um creativity really like design Mm -hmm. creativity how do you come up with new cool ideas and i was really interested in how we think i got really into mind maps Mm -hmm. um so i used mind maps all the time like when preparing for this uh and i Mm -hmm. mind maps are brilliant for like visual recording and sketch noting uh and i was so interested in it that i went over to uc berkeley where i i did a phd studying new product development oh wow that was and that was a really nice combination so they had a great program there where you you have the engineering side but then you have um, the business side from the business school there and then you have sort of industrial design which was a collaboration with the california college of the arts Mm -hmm. and so you bring all of that together and then you you want to come up with with new products but again it's 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 really about like communicating ideas but in, in a ways mm. that the ideas have to work like new products they have to be feasible and they have to be buildable you know mm-hmm. um but but uc berkeley i think was such an interesting place because i was also able to go explore you know like sociology and research methods i did some really interesting classes in the language school there with george lakoff on on metaphor I was in the Berkeley Institute of Design, and that was a bit. They had a big focus on HCI, which is human computer interaction, mm-hmm. and so there was there was lots of psychology concepts that people were bringing in and would would were going around the place. And of course, I was involved with software, so like there was lots of different influences. Mm-hmm. To and I think you probably see pieces of all of those in the in the topics that I choose yeah. for sketchpanations. After UC Berkeley, I found I found a fantastic company called Jump Associates. Um, it was actually I, I did a class at Stanford, and the professor there uh, works at Jump Associates, and they're a growth strategy firm, which was all about how helping companies figure out what they should do next, mm. particularly when it came to new products. Uh, and but they had some really brilliant ways of working, um, which still influenced me to this day. And and what they were really good at. Uh, one of the things they were really good at was visual recording because that's what we, we called it there but in many ways it was sketch noting and so we do a lot of working with clients 
where you do a workshop, you bring all the right people in the room and you have a put put some like provocative questions about like the nature of the project we're trying to tackle, what are the biggest challenges and so on. And then somebody on our team would be up there with a big whiteboard capturing the conversation and trying to get down the key ideas and so they didn't get lost. And I've always had an interest in this, like the ideas don't get lost in this sort of ether. You're like, mm-hmm. you, had a, you had a conversation, some really good ideas, they floated away. Somebody wrote down something, but it wasn't necessarily the good things. And and so and I just saw the power of like you take a conversation and you put it up real time on the board and it steers the conversation because it helps people come back to previous concepts that have been raised. So somebody says, oh, the way I think of it is like this and this and this and you put them up. And then later in the conversation, people can see that on the board and they come back to that. And because that was like a core skill there, they really helped people develop uh, with how to how to capture ideas in real time on a board. And even down to like really basic things like how to properly hold a whiteboard pen so that mm. you don't end up with like a thin line and then a thick line when you didn't mean to and that mm-hmm. and that the color is even as you go and what size letters should you be so that people all around the room can always read it wherever they are how do you keep your handwriting straight so that it doesn't end up looking like a mess and we'd often like take pictures of these at the end and present them and use them as like a record of the discussion that we had mm-hmm. and they were really valuable i think artifacts from from the it was from the design process but really for a, for a purpose and i think the other thing i think the jump was really interesting with was it wasn't just physical things but a lot of it was like frameworks or models you're like visualizing abstract things as well so like yeah the three challenges in this and then you try and visualize three challenges you know it's very it's sort of an abstract way of thinking of things or like business two by twos and things like that um so i kept those skills going um since Jump Associates, um, I worked in u- user experience in design at my first startup, and I was always like sketching uh, user interfaces and mm-hmm. uh, like um, what would it be, you know, user journeys, mapping mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. And how people are going through your product, that kind of thing. And then uh, back in 2012, uh, I got a Christmas present from my sister, which was a they still sell it. It's a lovely book. Um, it's a sketch a day journal. Hmm. Um, a little green book about that size um, and each if you open it up there's two s- space for two sketches on each side of the page and so that's four days worth and it's literally just draw something a day <laughs> and so I did that and it was really lovely because I you know I'd always enjoyed drawing I remember being on holidays as a kid and taking a little like uh, sketchbook postcards and stuff like that and sitting outside in the evening and and drawing them but i didn't find i was doing that art as much during the day anymore and so it was really nice just to draw something every day and i found when i got to the end of that i was like oh, i kind of miss it seems a bit of a waste to not be drawing anymore and then i was like okay well it would be nice also if it helped me in some way and so i had this idea well i'll try and explain something because that's what i'm trying to do all the day all day is like communicate an idea communicate a concept so i'll I'll explain something every day in a sketch. And I did that for a year, one a day. And I was I don't know, halfway through, I started posting some, because they look quite nice. And I had a little um, moleskin, uh, what are they called? They were storyboard. Storyboard, yeah. I was guessing yeah, that I mean, that was what that you were using. 
Yeah, and and they're really lovely. It's, it's, a, it's a very similar format. You know, the small sketchbooks, you open them up, there's four frames. Um, every now and then there's a one with like three three frames on one page. And just using that as like, these are my guides. I have to stay within that and, and do something. And so I did that and so I started posting them. And somebody said at one point, um, hey, you should put these online somewhere. And so I mm. started a little Tumblr page and started putting some on, on Twitter and, and people liked them. And so... I found I definitely found that I couldn't easily sustain one a day, mm. um, but when I finished that, I went to one a week. Actually, I went to two a week first, and I found that just didn't work at all because when there's two a week, you can always pick tomorrow to do one, um, yeah. as opposed to today. But when there's one a week, you got to make it happen. And, uh, and now I've been doing that for ten years. Wow. Maybe I've learned something. <laughs> well, it sounds to me like a book opportunity to me, where you could gather. If not all, maybe the best of those sketchplanations and bound those into some kind of a book that people would buy. I would buy that book. I don't know about anybody else, but I think it would be quite nice. Thank, thank you. Well, you know what? I I am actually working on it at the moment. Um, oh, good. After, I'm glad to hear after, that. Yeah, after after a long time, a, a publisher got in touch with me. Somebody who'd been following the newsletter and mm-hmm. with a similar idea, and uh, I've been. Um, yeah, a few days a week over the last year, trying to assemble everything together, and I've been redoing things and checking things, and um, mm. it's it's coming together. Hopefully for next next April is the idea. Oh, great! That would be great. You like have to let us know so we can share it with the Sketchstone Army uh, community, um, so we can we can definitely get some uh, pre orders and purchases going for you. Definitely do that. Thank you. I know in the publishing business these days, pre orders are a huge deal. They give away. Often publishers give away special tidbits to get you to pre-order. It looks very good on the uh, the sales uh, charts. So, if we can help in that way, we would be. I think the people here would be really your your ideal customer for yeah. buying that for themselves and others. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll definitely take your your tips on this. This would be uh, book number one for me. So, yeah, everything, all your advice is welcome, and all your help there is that would be brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Well, this is pretty fascinating. Um, it's interesting. Our paths in some ways are parallel. Uh, not exactly, but I was never the best artist either. I just was more practical in the work that I mm. did. So I sort of took what art skill I had and sort of applied it uh, to practical things. And so that has kind of led me on my path. I'm also a user experience designer uh, as well. And I had a period of time for about three years where we did very similar things uh, to what you talked about with the whiteboard uh, with developers. So we would queue yeah. up um, software features that needed to be added to our software we were building. And we would sit down on Mondays and queue it up, look at what existed in the old software. Do we like it? How could we improve it? Okay, let's have a discussion. And I would go to the board and document most of it. Occasionally, a developer would ask to come up and draw, which always was my highlight of my day. And they would draw concepts we would annotate it take a photo throw it on a sharepoint uh, space and sometimes the developers would just take the sketches we did and build right off of that and other times i'd do mock-ups to kind of uh, move things forward so i when you talked about that i remembered how enjoyable that was for everybody really everybody in that yeah. group developers product owners business analysts um all seemed to really enjoy it because as you say there were these great ideas floating around in the ether. And if no one was attending to that to try and I had this idea of like someone catching butterflies with a net, like if you didn't catch yeah. those butterflies and pin them, you know, to the wall, um, 
they would be lost because you know that person themselves maybe didn't even realize how valuable that idea was you really needed someone to spot it and then capture it so i think that's a really valuable way to work yeah it's it's interesting that that i have two really like contrasting experiences there which one was like this this engineering world and if you think of like oh you, you know you, you want to see how fast this is going to go when it knocks into that it's like you you draw mm -hmm. the diagram it's all established what the principles are mm -hmm. like you don't you don't just explain it with words you draw it out exactly as it's going to happen right um and then i was also doing i did some classes in the education department at uc berkeley and we were talking about all sorts of really fascinating and difficult topics like reliability and, and validity and um, some some concepts from sociology and things like that and and we'd we'd, <laughs> we'd sit in in these rooms and have these you know, do the reading beforehand come in and then you talk for an hour and lots of interesting points will come up and and everybody would just sort of absorb it i guess and scribble the odd word down and then walk off. And I just, I remember thinking as I left those classes, like there was some really good stuff there, but I think everybody's going to come out with like a different view of it and mm -hmm. people are going to forget some parts and remember others. And it's just a shame there's no, you can't get like some middle ground a bit where you can talk about them things which are a bit more abstract, but actually help give them shape, give them, give them a form that we can all be sure we're talking about the same thing. And that happens in product development so often. You, you talked about software mm -hmm. where we all talk about an idea and we all assume that we've got the same idea, but in fact we don't. And part of like sit, part of what drawing it on the board is, and like even just sometimes it's words, right? Trying to put it concretely into words is realizing, oh, I, when you said that, I was thinking of something different. Mm -hmm. and, and it just puts this sort of shared space where you can all look at it and go, oh yeah, now now we can all we're all on the same page here and yeah. I, it was fascinating these discussions in the education department but i'm sure we came across we left it with all sorts of different ideas you know afterwards i used so. to call that i don't know if i got this term from somewhere or what but i called it the illusion of agreement so we all thought mm. we agreed but we all had different ideas in our head and if you didn't do something to sort of establish so i would often i would joke around with people like okay we're what we're doing here is we're just I'm putting things on the board so we have something to argue about, right? To disagree about. Because mm. if you start with something to disagree about, at least you have some starting point and then you can work toward agreement from there. So, you know, often it wasn't necessarily disagreement, but I, it was not uncommon for one person to talk about something and I would draw it on the board and they'd say, no, no, that's, that's not exactly what I was thinking. And then I'd hand the marker to them and they would come up and draw it and make it clear from their perspective. And it was, it sort of gave some solidity or some some physicality mm. or something to that idea that then we could say, oh, okay, now I see what you're saying. And now let's have the discussion around that. We would build on it. And, you know, often that would be the solution uh, that would that would work for us. So that was quite enjoyable. Yeah, the illusion of agreement is a, is a great term. My, my thesis in the end was about reframing in the design mm. process and how you how you settle as a design team on the framing of the design problem and a lot of uh well you wrote a paper about this how do the teams establish a shared frame of things and mm. some of it is like when you put something out there the conflicts and the differences become salient whereas they weren't before and exactly right. that you all leave the meeting thinking that great we all know what to do and then you all think 
you've all actually got different ideas in mind about what that is. And when you come back later and you've built the wrong thing, everybody's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And so how do you, how do you head that off as early as possible? And some of it yeah. is like, yeah, making it concrete. And that's what, what the visuals uh, are useful for. Yeah. Maybe the biggest risk in that illusion of agreement walking away is you actually build five new things. Well, then which of the five <laughs> will we choose, right? Or is there overlap enough that they could be merged into one thing so that we're not spending energy in five directions, we redirect toward one direction and kind of come to an agreement together. Yeah. Yeah. Love, love that. And the sort of thing I still mm. come across in my day job on a regular basis. Something else that struck me, and this is just something that struck me and uh, relates to my education, is it sounded like Berkeley did lots of cross-training. So there was lots of overlap of departments, or at least for you as a student, you were kind of stepping into a variety of what would seem like unrelated spaces, but yet they are very related. In my education history, I went to a technical school and they were really, really adamant at that time about this cross-training. So if you were a designer, and this is like old school print designer, that's when I went to school, mm. um, they you were required to take photography classes because in those days you would work with photographers all the time to, you know, describe to them what you're looking for as a designer and they would inform you. So you had to understand like what are the materials that they work with so you could really understand it and also printers. So, and I found myself um, working in the printing room and because I was so, so practical, like I would often become almost like a teaching assistant down there because I had some history taking printing classes prior. So I would be in the design classes, sort of being the assistant to the uh, teacher who often wasn't in the dark room showing how to shoot films or whatever the thing was we were doing. And so I became sort of this teacher, but I always loved that the the cross training because I felt like I understood more of the holistic job that we were all doing together, even though my part was just one piece of it, gave me a better appreciation of those and how they fit together. And it sounds like maybe you're doing something like that at Berkeley. Yeah. I, one of the things is interesting is a difference uh, i think in general between like doing a, a doctorate in the uk versus often i think in the us whereas in the uk typically like you might find a, a research advisor who's got a project idea and you sort of you're interested in it too and it's all sort of settled and you go off and you do that research and it takes three years and then you present it in in berkeley which i really appreciated it was kind of it wasn't expected that you come in knowing what it is exactly you you want to do you like i had an idea of what i was interested in but essentially you spent the first two years like taking classes to to basically get you to be i'd say like getting on for a world expert in each of these areas really build your knowledge but that guess gave you a huge amount of flexibility and so yeah it was it was brilliant to be able to take yeah, take classes in the in the language school, and I remember mm -hmm. doing ones in game design, and I took some in the information school and the and the education department, and and just that sort of breadth of knowledge. And you never know where, you never know which ideas are going to be the ones coming in to to be useful. And I, I definitely really appreciated that. Whereas if I, you know, a traditional way, I was like, oh, I was in design engineering. I stay in the engineering school. Mm. That's where I do all my classes. But actually, I think. It, it broadened my outlook and and probably improved mm. the end product a great deal by being able to do all that. And I think and it's hopefully one of the things I think is interesting about sketchpinations is it's I think no, no, you know none of us just because you work in one area doesn't mean that's the only thing you're good at or the only thing you're right. interested in. And so it's it's nice to be able to go you know well here's here's a thing on 
well-being or healthcare and then here's the thing about design and here's the thing about you know a, a business tool and any of us can appreciate all of those so yeah I, lo- I love the idea of being able to take ideas from lots of different places it mm. was definitely valuable to me well we have lots of educators who i think listen to the podcast so at very least this can be an encouragement to teachers teachers if you're listening that doing cross training with your students is really valuable even if the students don't realize it in the moment I certainly had plenty of colleagues in my university, in my technical school, who grumbled that they had to go do photography class or had to do drawing. I'm a, you know, I'm a printer. Why do I need to do these things? But uh, ultimately, it gave them a better rounded experience. So if you're an educator, if you can find ways to sneak in cross training, John O and I are uh, big fans of the idea. Hundred <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. Well, um, and now so. You sort of you sort of led us to what you're doing these days. Um, what are you currently up to now? Are you working on software? Are you working on hardware? And how does um, you know your visualization skills sort of fit into the work you're doing today? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I split my time at the moment. So uh, a few days a week, I'm working, say, right now on pulling together a book for Sketchplanations and mm-hmm. still still continuing that in, in the day to day. I'm about a, I'm lead, I lead a product development team and well four product development teams. Um, the company I'm working at is called Zen Educate, and we uh, we mm. built a platform that connects schools with substitute teachers. So oh. you can think about it a bit like an Uber or an Airbnb, but for teachers mm. to to find work at schools and vice versa. Um, and and so yeah, we we typically it, it's just a, such a really nice sort of. Um, area where you're bringing in different skill sets and you're just you're forced to do that so you have to have people who know about education and then you have to have software developers and you have to have your product manager and you have a designer and you try and bring all of that expertise together to create something that is going to provide value for teachers and for schools Mm. Um, i do less of this specific day-to-day design and things uh, than i used to but uh you know i both the both the companies I've worked on in the last 10 years. I started when they were very small and mm. that's, I really like that phase because you, you just have to do, you have to do everything. Yeah. Um, otherwise nothing happens. Um, but it's really nice. So, you know, you, you can, you're going out and doing research interviews, but you're also sketching interfaces. You're, you're testing things before they're delivered. You're writing product releases. Um, you're communicating with, you know, stakeholders internally or the board members, you know, and all sorts of things. And so, yeah, my, my job is a mix of all of that at the mm. moment um and and we yeah i think like i think we provide a great service for schools and we we actually save it's more efficient so we save schools money and we can pay teachers mm. more and we started in the uk but we've we've since launched in the us which is mm. really exciting so yeah lots to keep me busy on that front too mm. that's pretty cool having uh those two those two clients right you know it's schools needing uh on-demand teachers and then teachers being out there on a bench looking for an opportunity that you're just sort of putting those two things together in a great way. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And just as as an example about where I think of visualization helping in that kind of thing, there's some, there's some really, so it's a marketplace. So you've got two sides of a marketplace and you have to balance supply and demand. And, you know, in some ways that's very concrete because you, you take a specific uh, job that's available, let's say, and a teacher who wants to do it and you want to, have to connect them properly. But there's also like, just how do you think about uh, a marketplace and making this successful? And so 
there's a nice concept called the Amazon flywheel. And there's another mm. one called, I think it was Uber's Virtuous Cycle. I did sketches of both of those. And they just help you sort of, you'll see like there's a, it's a little cycle like you, you know, the more the more teachers you have on the marketplace, the better the, the matches are with the jobs, let's say. So the better the experience for schools, which means they put more jobs available, mm. which means that attracts more teachers. And so you, you end up with a like a flywheel. And so um, the same is true for Amazon's marketplace. The same is true for like the density of drivers on Uber or, or mm. journeys that you can do. And I just think like it's it's interesting how it's easy it's fine to talk about that, but it's so different when you when you put like a a visualization or something like that. People just get it. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I see how it works. Whereas day to day, there's like a million little bits of data points. But trying to communicate abstract ways of thinking about these things is sometimes super valuable. And so yeah, I still like it at that sort of level. Yeah, and I imagine some people like a developer. Let's say they're looking at this one little piece. Like I need to deliver this feature, or but there is this whole flywheel or thing happening and they can see their position within it and why it's important what they're doing right so it gives meaning in a lot of ways where if you just were heads down pounding away on this feature it wouldn't maybe have the same meaning to you right like hey i'm part of this flywheel or our goal is to really get this moving forward and have let it have its own momentum to carry forward yeah everybody everybody needs a, a connection to what's the point of what you're doing there's um yeah uh, I do you should come across Dan Pink's really nice framework, um, autonomy, mastery, purpose about motivation. And mm. um, so I did a sketch of that. And I think the purpose side of it is just so like, why am I doing what I'm doing? It's not, mm -hmm. it's not exciting for me to be just creating this button, but if this button is going to do this and that's going to enable this bigger picture thing, then yeah. keeps you getting up every day. <laughs> doing yeah, exactly. Job probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, this has been really, really interesting and fascinating. I will have to look around a little bit. And if you've got those particular um, concepts um, and sketchplanations, maybe we can have some direct links to those. So those who are listening or watching can pop yeah, them up sure. on the screen and take a peek. So we'll, we'll work on that for the show notes later. This episode of the Sketchnote Army podcast is brought to you by Concepts, a perfect tool for sketchnoting, available on iOS, Windows, and Android. Concepts Infinite Canvas lets you sketchnote in a defined area while still enjoying infinite space around it to write a quick note, scribble an idea, or keep pre-drawn visual elements handy for when you need the most. The Infinite Canvas lets you stretch out and work without worrying if you'll run out of space. And when combined with powerful vector drawing that offers high resolution output and complete brush and stroke control, you have a tool that's perfect for sketchnoting. Search Concepts in your favorite app store to give it a try. Let's shift now to your tools. I'm always really fascinated by the tools people use. Sometimes they're pretty common and sometimes I'm surprised. And let's start with analog first. It seems like you do do analog drawing, or at least you used to when I first encountered you. Have you made a shift to digital or you still feel really good about the pen and paper feel? And what pens and paper do you like? Yeah, I'm always I'm always a bit conflicted at it because you know this digital just has these massive advantages. Yeah. Um, but I but I it's still there's nothing that quite is is come close to the feeling of just writing in a notebook. So I don't know, I I do have it alongside me here, so I have this kind of daily notebook that I'll always take, and so that's got like my you know 
mixes of to-do lists or uh, here's a UI idea or um, yeah, here's me sketching out this framework or here's a mind map for content for this talk. Um, I tend to, uh, for, for the analog stuff, so I still do carry around a physical notebook, um, mm -hmm. but my, my preference are, are dotted notebooks. Um, yes, yeah. I just, yeah, I, I say I was always interested in creative problem solving. I just think dotted just solves the problem. Like it basically looks like it's a blank page, which is lovely, but it allows you to structure data and actually like do things in straight lines and um, and it helps guide your drawings without getting in the way of the content. Um, it was Edward Tufte has this idea of a ghost grid. So there's a grid mm. behind the whole thing, which doesn't get in the way and you don't really notice yeah. it at the end. So anyway, I really like the dotted notebooks. I, this one is a leech term. I never know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Which German, is the bullet, German company. Yeah, really the, good the bullet journal. But pr probably most of my ones I've had are the uh, moleskin. They're about, I don't know, a bit bigger than A5. The, okay. the large ones with a sort of flexible leather cover and they do mm. some really nice dotted ones as well. I've tried plain and plain looks lovely if you're, if you're just drawing, but if you're... Right. If you're also making lists or st structuring stuff and you want things to be in straight lines, the dotted is just so much better. Um, yeah. I like, I think, usually I like ones with bright colors. That one's black, but yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I've got my bright colored Leuchtturm yeah. here as well. Absolutely. And I think um, Leuchtturm has done a really great job of finding that right gray level. So as an old printer, like I know how tricky it is. Uh, they must use some kind of a special color, but it's like, just dark enough that you see it, but light enough that it fades in the background. Some dotted notebooks don't do as good a job with this, and the dots are too dark, and they become, you know, they become noise. And so it's it's really, you know, you don't appreciate it until you <laughs> come across a notebook where they don't pay attention to those details, and it, it just constantly gets in your way. So I think Leuchtturm has done a good job with that. Yeah, a lot of if, if people are giving out free notebooks, normally they're lined ones. I just I just yeah. can't get on with lined I, yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah, it's not for me either. Not unless yeah. I'm writing a journal. But even in a journal, I would just use dotted as well because it's got just enough structure. What about yeah. pens? Um, it sounds like you're using Moleskin and Leuchtturm uh, primarily. Uh, yeah, for, for pens, I'm I'm heavily influenced by what we had at uh, Jump Associates, which I just think <laughs> worked beautifully. Um, I actually can't find them very easily now uh but there are some uniball vision elite pens yes. which are yes. my preferred just everyday pens and they do nice sets of colors now but i honestly just quite like the the blacks and the blues there's just something about they have just like the right uh beautiful clean lines and they're dark and they're bold and they're smooth to write with and they they don't bleed through too much um yeah, you, have to, you get the right thickness ones, but yeah, mm -hmm. the Uniball Vision Elite are the ones I like. And then I always used to carry like, uh, I sort of have, I usually have two pens in my pocket at any one time, <clears throat> but a, a black and then a highlight color, like a green mm -hmm. or a red. And then mm -hmm. I would have a Copic marker with me. That's why I always mm -hmm. used to carry around like usually a gray or sort of beige mm -hmm. um, Copic marker just to allow you to give a little background a little shape to things and i just think that just made a huge a huge difference i think when i was doing a lot of paper stuff i'd have also have mm. like a bright color copic marker as well for highlighting mm. stuff but um not so much anymore but i, I mean they've they've strongly influenced because because I, I started analog all the sketch mm -hmm. It they're basically I, I keep to a simple color palette and and often a bit of just gray in the background and that's that's the influence of those pens
Yeah, and I can just imagining, I'm not looking at one of your sketch planations, but all those things you just said, you know, black with a highlight color and a shadow is sort of like, you know, the recipe for a sketch planation and a square, right? Sort of those those basic elements, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if uh, a square necessarily, I'm looking, I'm looking around because I have a bunch on my wall. Um, I see some behind you now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 I have, I have, a, few, I have a few um of my, my favorite ones. Um, but it, there is something about like just here. You know, I think back to the storyboard notebooks, which I do really still really like. They just give you this frame to work in, and sometimes mm -hmm. the the constraint is just really helpful. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, it's got to work in here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, what about digital? Are you using uh, some kind of digital tool? You sound like you were conflicted when you first began, so I suspect that's true. Yeah, I did. So I I don't know. I don't know when it was. Like five or six years ago, I moved to an iPad Pro, and the mm -hmm. iPad Pro and the pencil first came out. Mm -hmm. and I think I still have the sort of initial large iPad Pro, the sort okay. of A three size, A three A four size one, the big, the big one, yeah, yeah. Which which I really, I mean, they're probably much better now, but it still works. It still works really nicely, and I think the pencil's still pretty good. Um, yeah. So I do, yeah, all of the sketch planations I do now with that. But if, I don't know, if I'm still just doing it, if I'm sketching a, a user interface quickly or something, I'll do that in my notebook and take a quick photo and send it mm -hmm. in Slack or something. Mm -hmm. um, and then you said that most people use Procreate. I, I have Procreate installed. I don't use Procreate. Interesting. Yeah, I use, um, I use something called Sketchbook Pro, if you oh, come yeah. across that. Yeah, yeah, um, of course. So it was an Autodesk one, but um, you know the free version is really good, and they they added a little thing that you can pay for that allows you to do a few extra bits, which is just mm -hmm. super useful. Mm -hmm. um, I usually think like, you know that that phrase that the best camera is the one you have with you. Yeah, it, it's kind of like it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Like, what's more important is that you're able to write stuff down or make a note when you're inspired, and that you just get to know your tools. Like yes. I'm sure I could get really good at Procreate, but I've kind of got the Sketchbook Pro does what I want now, and so you know maybe one day I'll try something different. But it does what I want, and uh, that's more important. Like is knowing knowing your tools, I think, than which tool yeah, you're agree. using. Yeah. yeah, it's simple and effective, and you know the you're, you're fluent. So you know if you want to get yourself out of the way, if you're fiddling with tools, that's not a good thing when you're trying to get a concept out because, like you say, that whatever's floating around in your head in the ether could get lost just as well. Right. So you want to move quick and catch yeah. it before it disappears. So exactly. Yeah. That's Autodesk's app is a classic. It's been around, I think since the beginning of the iPad, I think they ported it pretty early. So it's been yeah. around for quite a long time. Um, and yeah. I've run into a few other people that use it. I use paper by we transfer in that way. I just yeah. know the tool really deeply. And it's, if I need to get a concept out, I just pop it up and, it's there and I go with it. So in a similar way, but I do use Procreate for illustration work. Um, if I know that my work will be uh, scaled or I need modifications, yeah. Concepts is great for that because it's vector-based. So gives me that additional level of control. So it really, I've been starting to try and be more specific around what is the task that I want to do? And then I choose the tool to fit it. Um, but paper is sort of my default. If I, if I don't have to choose, I'll go there first. And then if I have a specific need, I go to these other tools. And I like you, <laughs> I have to force myself because I mm. would just be comfortable using this one tool. But, you know, illustrations have to be a certain resolution. Paper just doesn't, it's not set up that way. It's not that kind of a tool. So I needed to move into Procreate. And it's been a great tool for that. And same thing with concepts when those illustrations need to be scalable. Uh, it's been a great tool for that. So 
I feel fortunate, but it's hard. Like when you invest a lot of time in a tool, you know, it's, it's an intentional move to do spend time on another tool because you have to learn all that new stuff and you need, you almost need like a project. You can't just do it fiddling around because there's not enough motivation. You really need a project, I think, to make you motivated to see results. So that's really yeah. interesting. I, I think because um, because Sketchplanations is weekly, I I never feel like I quite have enough time mm. in in a week to like transition to something new. So I never, mm-hmm. I've never, I've never made the switch to try out new new things. I'm just like, right, well, let's let's keep going with this one because I I know it's going to work yeah. right now. So that seems like a good fit for that purpose, then. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, all of the, any of these tools you see, like be- people can draw beautiful unbelievable oh, yeah. things in all of them so you know mm-hmm. if they can do that surely surely this one's good enough for me so yeah, yeah. i'm kind of curious do you ever um i i'm assuming you must have a huge backlog of potential topics that you could draw or do you struggle every week like oh man what am i going to draw it's thursday i better hurry up and pick a topic and uh, okay got it done friday Phew. okay i hope i have something next week does it tend to be one side or the other or do you have like a huge stack of like logs waiting for you to pick and burn the fire yeah have you ever read the um the book uh i think there was there was one about bill watterson and calvin and hobbs and how he drew calvin mm. and hobbs i haven't seen no i haven't read that one okay. that would be I, fun I, I forget what it's i forget exactly what it's called but there's one it was it was um there was some, an extended interview with him about his process from the, mm. the museum where they have they have his work um and i i think i do it a little bit like like he did it uh which is what he often would do is like come up with a number of like ideas for strips sometimes like draw them out just really roughly and then sometimes he would he would go through and ink them and then later on he would come through and color them let's say and say at any one point he might have three or five of them on the go and like do a day where he's like inking them all do a day when he's coloring them all and so I, i i'm a little bit more like that so i have mm. ones in various stages of being done so i do i do have a giant backlog of like oh that would be a cool sketch one day i should mm. do that that keeps coming up um but i also have lots of draft sketches where i've mm. started something or i'm like oh actually you know one day I, I i put down three ideas of three different sketches and how i might do it and then one week i might come across and do two of those and mm. then post one of them you know that kind of thing, and so I always have this multi-stream approach. And also, I think for me, sometimes, uh, I, I guess it's kind of like this with any art. Like you get to the end, and it looks totally straightforward. But often, I had to get through a lot of thinking in order to get mm-hmm. there. And so sometimes, just like putting an idea, even even if I pick, I'm going to do this one this week, and I put that down the Friday before. And my brain can be turning that over through the days, over the next week. And so I've I've actually by the by Wednesday I've come up with a great example for it, and then I'll draw yeah. it on Thursday. You know that kind of thing. So yeah, that's kind of my process. But I do have a giant list, and people send me send me send me great ideas all the time. Mm. So I the, the ideas come in faster than I can draw them for sure. Mm. If you think about it in the plant term, it's like you've got a big bucket of seeds. And then you're planting these plants and you're watering them through the, so, you know, constantly. And then when, when it seems like that one's ready, you pull it forward and finish it up and push it out. And another seed comes and gets planted and you keep on watering. And it's sort of like the gardener of sketchplanations. That's, that's a nice <laughs> metaphor. Yeah, I like it. That should, that's exactly how I meant to describe it. There you go. <laughs> you can have that for free, Jono. Thank, thank you. 
So, Jono, tell us some um, some tips you have for us. I like to frame it as someone's listening, they're a visual thinker of some kind, and but they maybe feel like they're on hit a plateau. And um, I'd like to ask guests to give them encouragement. What would be three tips that you would tell someone like that uh, to encourage them? It can be anything. It can be mental tips. It can be practical tips. Bring an extra pencil, something like that. So uh, I'll leave it to you. But uh, just three tips would be great. Yeah. Um, so, so I gave a little bit of thought to this uh, and I came up with some which I think are maybe disarmingly simple, perhaps. Um, so the first one is I have a concept. I actually have a mouse mat of it right here, which is mm. the first draft is always perfect. And I really like this framing because mm. it basically says like, you're like, your first draft is probably going to be rubbish, but that's okay because that's the job of the first draft and that's mm. what makes it perfect and so i guess my experience is there was when i'm stuck uh or i'm not sure what to do i just have to make myself do anything and actually yeah. i find just doing something is enough to like unblock it um and getting away from this idea that whatever you're going to do is going to be great is just very liberating and so this idea of the first draft is always perfect is is a nice way to come to me i i have another sketch actually it's up on my wall um which is called the doorstep mile which is this mm. really nice uh scandinavian concept i think which is just like getting started can be the hardest part which is like stepping out of your door like it's easy mm. to go for a run once you've got your trainers on and you're out of your door mm -hmm. um so you just have to get started so first draft is always perfect I, I, there's um I definitely I strongly believe like this idea that great ideas come during the hard work and not mm. before it and so like you don't have to have your great idea and then start work usually all the best ideas I've had are while I'm doing the work um, mm. so to get started the second uh, tip I would have is to keep it simple and the reason I say that is because I think it's easy to have really high expectations about you know what things are going to turn out like, but actually, in many ways, simple stuff is just as helpful as complex stuff, and sometimes it's it's even more useful. Um, I'm reminded of some diagrams which have been super helpful at work and in discussions where people it literally just boxes and lines with <laughs> text in. Like anybody can do boxes and and lines. Sometimes I find. On, like just laying out words like if there's a process i like to lay out the words in an order i'm like oh yeah this one becomes for that one and and i find that is valuable and clarifying mm -hmm. to me um, and it doesn't have to be like a complex visual in any ways mm -hmm. and i think the other aspect to keep it simple i think definitely for me it was but it's easy to get thrown by drawing people and you'll see obviously like in in sketchbinations my people are super super simple a, just a little bit more than a stick man but there are there are lots of ways actually to draw really simple people which just allow you to put a person in there but not get hung up on the drawing of the person mm -hmm. and you know like drawing a star it kind of looks like a person you can do somebody jumping and that's fine and that gets the idea across and it doesn't have to be perfect so keep, keeping it simple is my second tip mm -hmm. and my third tip is keep it keep going um so my my experience again is that i've done so many drawings where about halfway through they looked pretty rubbish and <laughs> i think i think often you know people ask me about oh yeah how can i learn to 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 draw and i i've, I've 
very much believe like it's easy to start drawing something and it look rubbish and then just stop and then assume that you you couldn't do it or you weren't getting there and and so often i mean partly the nice thing about sketch simulations is i I'm, it's like clockwork it's going to make me do it so i just keep going um and there's very often times where halfway through it felt like it wasn't working the drawing wasn't right you know, like if you saw all my um the sketches along the way sometimes they're you know they're awful but you keep going at it and you refine this bit and you change this bit and you switch the direction and then after a while you get to a point where it looks really good and it's so easy to assume that people just come across and do the good thing straight away but mm. so my my tip is just even when you look at it is to keep to keep going there was in my um in my research there was a guy called donald shun who's an architect um and he did a lot of research about how do, how do you teach and learn architecture? And he talked about drawing as a reflexive conversation with the situation. Mm. Is takes a while to get your head around, but the idea is that you, you put a line on the page and then you see that line and that line informs your next line. And so there's this constant like back and forth and like, mm. oh, I put this down and it doesn't quite fit. So I moved it over there and I erased this bit and I moved it over there. And you're doing these, these hundreds of iterations just while you're just still working on it. And, um, but you don't get that if you just stop on your first bit when it mm. didn't, didn't come out like you wanted to. So those mm. are my, my three ideas. Uh, yeah. First draft is always perfect. Keep it really simple. You keep going. Mm. Those are three great, three great tips, and I wholeheartedly believe in each one. And was imagining moments in my experience where I felt the same way. Especially number two, like getting partway into something and thinking, "Oh, this is not going the way I want." I'll just say, "Well, I'll just keep going a little bit more. Let's tweak that a little bit." And a lot of times, I found that the thing that I thought was going nowhere was a problem halfway through by the time I get done with it it's like one of my favorite things because you know there was really potential there that I had to unearth that potential and keep working it working it working it until it developed into the thing like you kind of fell in love with it which is kind of kind of a fun experience so yeah, I definitely I, believe in that I, I always love I always love like the making of things and and mm -hmm. like I went to see there's a random gallery in in Washington state where they had a Dr. Zeus exhibition and it had like his uh sketches before the final books and it's just it's just always fascinating seeing people's process and realizing it's probably just as messy and confused yeah. as as yours is and it's quite it's quite liberating whenever we watch films I'm always more interested in the making of the film than the film yeah. itself not you know like, yeah if you if if you happen to be a Star Wars fan and watch Mandalorian there was a really great series uh, in addition to the show where it talks about how how they made it and some of the crazy stuff they went through to achieve these, what at the outset seemed like impossible. How are we going to do that? They had some crazy idea and they, through process and everybody being creative, they were able to solve it. And you get to see how they achieved it. And when you watch the the episode, it's, you know, you wouldn't even think of all the the hoops that they're jumping through to make that happen, but yet they pulled it off. So... Yeah, in the Absolutely. same way. I love that. I yeah. love it. Well, thanks so much for those tips, Jenna. And uh, this has been really enjoyable chatting with you and getting inside of the way you think and your process and so forth. Tell us if someone's uh, listening, how do they find Sketchable Nations? How do they find you? What's the best place to find you? 
Yeah, I mean, it's always a bit of a curse. Sketchbonations is not the easiest word to say or mm. spell, but it does make sense when you think of that sketch and yeah. explanation. So, yeah, I mean, sketchplanations.com, I think I've you know pretty okay. much a monopoly on if you t- type that into any search engine and it should probably correct it and point you in the right direction. Uh, if if you're struggling with that, you can always put in John O'Hay and that, that'll, that'll help get you there pretty yeah. quick. Um, that's H-E-Y. Uh, and then we, we, we also did... Um, we also started a podcast this year, which was quite fun. Oh, so, great. It, it, yeah, interesting, like different angles. Obviously, it's all visual. So in some ways, it's mad to do a podcast about something that's visual. Well, but that's what you're on now is a, uh, a podcast about sketchnoting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But actually, it's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, like taking a topic and, like mm-hmm. I say, going a bit deeper into it than I can just in a little quick sketch mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. chatting about that. That's been fun. So um, that's sketchnations.com slash podcast. Great. Um, but everything, everything, pretty much there on on the Skeptonation site. Great. Well, we'll definitely link it up. And um, in the meantime, between us recording now and this, this is getting published, um, we'll see if we can get uh, links to those the things you've mentioned, uh, the the visuals that you mentioned in our discussion. And we'll link those up too. So that way, if someone's listening and they want to see what the uh, Amazon flywheel or whatever, I think I've yeah. mixed that up. But yeah, the the uh, the concept, they can pick it up and to have a peek, which would be great. Perfect. Well, thanks, Jono. It's uh, I'm really impressed with your um, reliability and your ability to continue going after 10 years. Um, some people would uh, very easily be bored or it would drive them mad. And it seems like you just keep on leaning into it and enjoying it. That's really an encouraging thing to see. And I appreciate it. I think it's a great thing for the world. And uh, I speak for all the other fans of your work. Thank you for the work you're doing. It's really valuable. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, I, I mean, I I always consider it honestly it's it's like the attention economy right people have got lots of places they can spend their attention and it's a privilege to have a place where you can send something out and people will pay attention to it and so that's one of the things that keeps me going is to take that opportunity seriously and you know i also think a bit like you with this podcast it's it's helped me out a huge deal as well like it's it's not completely like selfless like i'm not just doing yeah. this for everybody else like i've got better at a whole host of things as as a result of doing this project mm-hmm. um the people i really had to thank is my my wife and family for like mm-hmm. allowing me to go off on saturdays from time to time and <laughs> finish some sketches <laughs> when i should be uh, helping out around the house or you know, having fun but there you go yeah there you go well thanks so much jono it's uh, it's been a pleasure and for those who are listening or watching, this is another episode of the Sketchnote Army podcast. Until the next episode, talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. The Sketchnote Army podcast was created by me, Mike Rody, and brought to you by Road Design Studios. It's produced and edited by Alec Polianis of Amp Creative Studios. The theme music was created by John Schiedemeyer. To support the creation of this show, I invite you to buy one of my books, The Sketchnote Handbook or The Sketchnote Workbook. You can find the books on Amazon or go to peachpit.com and use the code ROADY40 for 40% off. Please share this podcast with other visual thinking friends and be sure to leave a nice rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app so others can find the show. 